Chapter Ten of Some American Storytellers by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ten, O Henry. It is a sufficiently common figure of speech to characterize the careers of certain men as meteoric, but usually with no conception of the length of time that it may have taken the meteor to gain the requisite velocity and momentum to produce its brief fiery burst and no thought of the stray fragments that remain after the burst is over to awaken the curious appreciation of the enlightened few if we accept this broader view then o henry was quite literally a literary meteor although he had served an apprenticeship of a score of years he remained up to within half a decade of his death practically unknown to the general reading public and by them in half a decade more he will already have begun to be forgotten yet for just a few intervening years he achieved a popularity unparalleled in its swift development and its extent by any modern american writer of short stories and not least surprising was the variety of taste to which he appealed the range in education culture and social grade of his reading public considered as an article of merchandise his stories have commanded a market rate rivalled only by mr kipling considered as literature they have formed the theme of more than one grave and reverend professor of english letters the meteor has blazed and burst and burned itself out and the interesting question not unnaturally arises to what extent was o henry's vogue justified is the popular verdict greatly in error does his fame of the passing hour rest upon a solid foundation one takes up the answer with a certain amount of diffidence as was said in another critical article in one of the magazines quite recently but while the author of cabbages and kings was still with us such matters rest upon the knees of the gods it is always easier to dogmatize as to what posterity ought to do than to predict what that profoundly unknown quantity really will do nevertheless certain opinions may be ventured with some assurance provided we base them first upon a few established facts regarding the personal o henry his life his temperament his attitude towards his craft and secondly upon the really salient points of his own productions in the first place then at the risk of tediously repeating what has recently become a commonplace of the daily press let us summarize the main facts in the life of this particular american story-teller that his real name was sidney porter and that he happened to be born in greensboro north carolina in the year eighteen sixty seven is not material but it helps to complete the record the fact that his health as a boy was rather poor and that consequently he was sent to a texan ranch at a time when otherwise he would have gone to college has a more direct bearing upon our problem he was not of the stuff from which ranchmen and cowboys are made and although with characteristic facility he picked up his surprising amount of the picturesque idiom of the ranch a scant three years had satiated him with the life all this time somewhere in the back of his mind had lurked persistently the ambition to write perhaps one of the most curious facts in the world of letters is the unlikely sources from which the public favorites among writers spring when one sees the apparent hopelessness of conditions that have given birth to some of the successful fiction-makers of to-day even the most self-confident critic hesitates to say to an apparently hopeless novice give it up there is no chance for you the life of the ranch had re-established mr porter's health following the insistent call of letters he went to houston and secured a position on a daily paper the post it is curious how biographers insist upon mixing up essentials and non-essentials 
much has been made of the fact that the houston post paid mr porter fifteen dollars a week and that the editor assured him that within five years he would be earning a hundred a week on a new york newspaper so far as this means anything it means that mr porter must have been more successful as a reporter than the editor was as a prophet many more than five years passed before he reached new york the essential facts so far are that he had an inborn desire to write a frail constitution which debarred him from a college education and the good luck to strike almost simultaneously a healthful climate and a newspaper opening the following items have their importance after a year on the post he went to austin and purchased for the sum of two hundred and fifty dollars a newspaper named the iconoclast from its owner a certain bran the latter having withdrawn to waco and perhaps regretting his bargain asked mr porter to give him back the paper's name our author with characteristic generosity consented and rechristened his own paper the rolling stone whatever symbolism there may be in names this particular paper promptly rolled itself out of existence and the future o henry went into voluntary exile in central america the fact that he went there with a friend who intended to go into the fruit business but didn't is evidence of a credulity characteristic of him not only then but later as subsequent anecdotes show what he did and what he saw in central america one gleans between the lines of cabbages and kings but the one authentic bit of autobiography of that period is the single laconic sentence most of the time i knocked around with the refugees and consuls mr porter's subsequent movements are given still more briefly in the few meagre printed accounts he returned to texas thence removed to new orleans where he began more consistently to work as a writer and in nineteen hundred two came to new york having received from ainsley's magazine the offer of one hundred dollars apiece for a dozen stories from that time until his death mr porter made new york his home exhibiting that extreme almost exaggerated affection for the metropolis that is peculiar to the manhattanite by adoption now the years about which we know the least are probably the important ones the years of growth and slow accretion the record as it stands fails to explain it shows a man of naturally roving spirit whose schoolbook has been experience hard and practical and who toiled for twenty years before beginning to reap his reward it is easy enough to write sagely that his wanderings have influenced his work that texas gives the setting of short stories called the heart of the west that central america is the scene of cabbages and kings and that new york gives the background for the four million the voice of the city and the trimmed lamp this all sounds as though it meant something but in reality it does not there are probably many thousands of people whose lot in life has taken them successively to texas to central america and to new york yet there is only one o henry what would really be worth knowing is what he was thinking about through all those formative years what books he read and which especially impressed him what sort of work in kind and quality he did on the various newspapers with which he connected himself and above all where he learned his technique of the short story and what models if any he consciously imitated of all this we have only a few meagre and tantalizing glimpses like the following paragraph published in a comparatively recent interview Quote, i did more reading between my thirteenth and nineteenth years than i have done in all the years that have passed since then and my taste at that time was much better than it is to-day for i used to read nothing but the classics 
burton's anatomy of melancholy and lane's translation of the arabian nights were my favourites the anatomy of melancholy and the arabian nights are indisputably classics but there is nothing in either that could have given a hint of that nice economy of means that unerring instinct for ending a story at just the right instant and with just the right phrase that makes so many of o henry's stories models of technical skill because of his constructive gift he has not infrequently been hailed as the yankee maupassant and yet those who knew him best give assurance that o henry either never made the acquaintance of the author of la parure or else read him only after the great bulk of his own writings was completed and it is equally doubtful whether he became acquainted with french technique through what is probably the next best medium the short stories of h c bunner apparently the o henry story is to a large extent an independent development born of an instinct for getting the sharpest possible narrative effects now it is idle to deny many of o henry's very genuine merits he was technically a master of his craft even though to the practised eye certain tricks of his trade stick out somewhat conspicuously he had mingled on terms of frank comradeship with all sorts and conditions of men the tramp the clerk the ward politician the city policeman the shop and factory girl the human derelict at home and abroad and he has a faculty compared by more than one critic to that of dickens for catching both the humour and the pathos of these alien lives mr francis hackett writing recently in the chicago evening post made the following comment to o henry the clerk is neither abnormal or subnormal he is simply fifteen dollars a week humanity he has specialized in this humanity with loving care with a kiplingesque attention to detail but his is far from the humorless method of gissing and merrick who were no more happy in a boarding-house than thoreau would have been happy in the waldorf astoria one is tempted to ask parenthetically why in the name of all that makes good art an author should be required to be happy in a boarding-house or a corner grocery or an east-side tenement in order to write of them truly and with understanding the important fact is not whether o henry was happy in the company of clerks but whether he understood them and of this his stories leave not the shadow of a doubt it is true however that o henry's likes and dislikes do occasionally intrude themselves between the story and the reader and to the lover of a finished art this is not a merit but quite distinctly a fly in the ointment of our enjoyment another quality for which o henry has been overpraised by nearly every writer who has attempted a critical analysis of his work is the excellence of his local descriptions the accuracy with which he makes you feel that a certain story not only happened in new york but that it was part and parcel of the city itself and of no other place in the world it is extremely enlightening as regards o henry's attitude towards fiction in general and towards his own work in particular to read the following frank confession people say i know new york well but change twenty-third street in one of my new york stories to main street rub out the flatteran building and put in the town hall then the story will fit just as truly elsewhere at least i hope this is the case with what i write so long as your story is true to life the mere change of local colour will set it in the east west south or north the characters in the arabian nights parade up and down broadway at midday or main street in dallas texas when i recently ran across this paragraph for the first time it gave me a rather keen delight because personally i could never see the excellence of o henry's local colour i never could feel that a few names of streets and buildings printed with capital letters 
sufficed to give the illusion of that indefinable atmosphere which a person born and bred in a certain city absorbs from a thousand subtle little sights and sounds and smells such as that city and none other has to offer it is a comfort to discover not merely that the fault was not a lack of perception on my part but a deliberate choice upon the part of o henry in short that he not only neglected an essential article in maupassant's declaration of faith as an artist but that he openly avowed his disbelief in it it would be interesting to know what he would have thought of flaubert's insistence upon the supreme necessity if you are describing only a tree a horse or a dog of catching its special physiognomy so unerringly that it could not be confused with any other tree horse or dog in the whole world yet it is easy to understand o henry's vogue he appealed to a wide range of men and women because he wrote of a wide range with sympathy and understanding he appealed to the wide class that is repelled by anything like academic nicety of speech by the raciness of his phrase and vocabulary his habit of making the english language a servant rather than a master much of his humour lies in his verbal audacities and for that very reason he is doomed within a decade to seem in a measure already out of date and his habit of invoking local and temporal allusions not merely as subordinate details but at times as the turning point of a story is another factor that will hasten the wane of his popularity take for example one of the best stories that he ever wrote the rose of dixie it is a story of an old southern colonel who has undertaken to edit a magazine exclusively in the interests of the fair daughters and brave sons of dixieland handicapped by the colonel's strong sectional prejudices the magazine is not a financial success so the stockholders suggest that the aid of a certain thacker famed for his successes in forcing up the circulation of lagging periodicals shall be invoked the colonel rejects thacker's much too radical suggestions but at the same time hints mysteriously at an important article that he has on hand an article brimful of wise philosophy of life but unfortunately written by one regarding whose qualifications he has not yet sufficiently informed himself the tale in order to be appreciated has to be read no amount of skill in epitomizing can begin to convey the humour of the denouement when the article at last appears with the title emblazoned with local significance in prominent full-face type and the name of the author so minute as to be almost illegible below it and that too the name of one who at the time the rose of dixie was written happened to be the chief executive of the nation a generation hence the edge of the joke will be quite gone indeed it is already somewhat dulled one disadvantage under which a writer of short stories labours is that it is out of the question to analyse at any length even a tithe of his writings thus in the case of o henry one would be glad to dwell at some length upon each separate volume to analyse the clever mechanism of cabbages and kings whereby the reader is carried through a lengthy string of apparently slightly correlated tales and does not suspect until the final page is turned that underlying them all is a mystery a series of cross-purposes straightened out only when two bits of human flotsam finally meet and exchange confidences on a north river pier in new york but to stop long over any one volume or even over any considerable number of stories would serve no special purpose the more you read them the more you realize that there is a certain sameness about his themes and his structure that he has just a few formulas that he invokes over and over again 
there is for instance the formula of cross-purposes like the story if memory is not at fault in details of the man who pawned his watch to buy his wife for christmas a fur neck-piece to match her muff unaware that she in turn had sacrificed her muff in order to buy him a watch fob or again there is the irony of fate formula as exemplified in the story of soapy and the anthem in which a tramp having made up his mind that a few months on the island will be the pleasantest arrangement that he can make for winter proceeds to attempt to get himself arrested by swindling a restaurant-keeper out of a meal by breaking a window by insulting a woman and all to no purpose fate under one guise or another intervenes to defeat his plans and then at last as he is passing a church door and hears the swelling notes of a fine old anthem some softening memory of childhood steals over him and he finds himself unkept and ragged as he is drawn irresistibly into the church with a growing resolution to turn over a new leaf a policeman deciding that he is lurking there for no good purpose runs him in and soapy now that he no longer wishes it finds himself on his way to the island and then again there is what we may call the inertia of human nature formula the type of story based upon a subtle appreciation of the fact that people often think that they have learned a lesson but as soon as the stress is over drop back again into their old rut one of the best of this class is a story in the volume called the trimmed lamp it is not necessarily the best of the collection but somehow it made a rather special appeal to the present writer and seems worth giving in some detail it is merely the story of a commonplace man married to a commonplace little wife and living in a commonplace little apartment on a salary the smallness of which always seems to have the element of commonplaceness a story you will perceive in which the temperamental barometer on the whole stands rather low after the glamour of the honeymoon wore off the man fell gradually into the habit of spending his evenings away from the home atmosphere as surely as the hands of the clock came around to half-past eight he would reach for his hat now where are you going i should like to know the wife's querulous voice would question and his stereotyped answer would be flung back through the closing door just going down to play pool with the boys for half an hour but one night when he comes home there is no wife to meet him no dinner waiting nothing but a pervading disorder and a hasty note telling him that she has been called away by the sudden news of her mother's serious illness disconsolately he makes a comfortless meal from cold remnants found in the ice-box the loneliness of the apartment each instant forcing itself into his consciousness it is the first night since their marriage that she has been away from him the first time that he has asked himself what life would be without her he begins to regret the hours of her society he has voluntarily lost the evenings he has gone out and left her to bear the same solitude from which he is now suffering never again he tells himself never again he will make it up to the little woman when she comes back he will take her out more to theatres and all that sort of thing she shall never again be left to the ghastly loneliness of these silent rooms and in the midst of his good resolutions the door opens and the wife walks in mother's illness was a false alarm she did not need to stay after all this topic occupies them until she finishes dinner then as the hands of the clock move around to half-past eight the man reaches mechanically for his hat now where are you going i should like to know comes the stereotyped question with all its wanted querulousness and the stereotyped answer comes back through the closing door just going down to play pool with the boys for half an hour yet in the case of o henry more perhaps than in that of any other popular story-writer of his generation 
the relative merits and deficiencies of his stories are a matter of individual opinion discuss kipling in any group of average well-read men and women and you will find a certain amount of disagreement some will hold that the earlier tales are easily superior to the later and others will insist on the opposite view some will maintain that they is his most finished masterpiece the one story that stands alone upon a lofty height and others will see little or nothing in it but on the whole the world agrees pretty well in singling out without benefit of clergy the drums of the fore and aft the man who would be king on the city wall the courtship of dinah shad while an habitation enforced mrs bathurst and a deal in cotton would come in as pretty close seconds but if you try the same experiment regarding o henry's stories you will find a very different state of matters almost every one present will have read him and almost every one will have his or own personal preference backed up by reasons to justify it half of the time they will not remember the title in spite of the pains that mr porter is said to have taken over his titles they are not of the kind that stick in the memory sometimes a good many of the details will have faded out but what people remember is the sharp unlooked-for twist at the end of the story like the snap of a whip in a practised hand do you remember someone is sure to ask that story of the local champion prize-fighter who is just starting in on his honeymoon and whose bride expresses a wish for peaches it is late at night and even in new york even in the ward where he is something of a power peaches in the off-season are not easy to find everywhere he is offered oranges big thin-skinned juicy oranges but not a peach is to be found at last he remembers a certain high-life gambling resort where everything is done in lavish style and where the buffet is never lacking in luscious hot-house fruits now in all his devious career he has stuck to his standards of loyalty he has stood for a square meal among his kind but to-night he is in a dilemma his bride has demanded peaches and peaches she must have loyalty or no loyalty accordingly he goes contrary to the ethics of his class takes part in a police raid on the gambling-house and in the midst of a general rough-and-tumble fight which is a gem of its kind manages to make his escape with two rather dilapidated peaches and now comes the snap of the whip when he hands them to his expectant bride she looks at them disappointedly and says oh did i say peaches it was oranges that i wanted you haven't told that quite right someone else rejoins you don't emphasize the oranges enough don't you remember that everywhere he goes they say to him now if it was only oranges you wanted and at the last place he turns on them savagely and interrupts with if anyone dares to say oranges again to me i'll and words fail him but i'll tell you a story ever so much better than that and that's the jimmy valentine one there's a short story that really has some substance to it a short story that had in it the material of a full-length play supposing you should give a story-writer the following problem let the hero be a criminal perhaps an escaped convict under another name he has found honest employment in a town where his past is not known he has won the respect of his new friends and the love of a good woman his future seems assured and suddenly as he is in the act of destroying the only remaining evidences of the past of cutting himself off even from the memory of his old life fate brings him face to face with an extraordinary dilemma someone very close to the woman he loves is in danger of death tragic and agonizing and it is only by revealing his crime-stained past only by resorting to his criminal skill that he can save her 
in other words it is the man's reformation his newly acquired tenderness of heart that is his undoing there is the problem and if you assigned it to a score of writers i doubt if one of them would have got a quarter of the possibilities out of it that o henry did that is all very well objects someone else at this point jimmy valentine was a good job of its kind but he deliberately spoiled it at the end by one sentimental touch the popular happy ending we all know that in real life the detective who had spent weary months in tracking down an escaped convict would not let him go at last with the tools of his trade in his hands just because he cracked a safe in time to save a child from smothering but if you want o henry at his best take a story like the one about the little girl whose mother didn't like that she should play in the street and whose father red-headed and sullen-tempered spent his sunday afternoon sitting by the window in his shirt-sleeves and with his heels on the ledge leisurely emptying a tin can of beer papa won't you play checkers with me the little girl asks wistfully no i'm busy run along and play in the street growls the man and the little girl goes in spite of the mother's feeble protest i don't like that she should play in the street well when we see that child again a few years have passed the street has done its worst for her and she is in cruel trouble the man whom she has loved too rashly openly favors another girl at a big east side dance hall when true to her street training she draws a knife stabs her rival and ends her misery in the east river the scene shifts from this world to the next an angel of the heavenly detective corps has brought up for judgment the bedraggled soul of a poor drowned girl and is proceeding to press the charge hold on says st peter or words to that effect you have arrested the wrong person the one you want to look for is a red-headed man in his shirt-sleeves drinking beer on sunday out of a tin can you'll lose your job if you aren't more careful that's the fourth mistake you've made this week there in brief we have a fairly wide and representative selection of o henry's stories they do not pretend to include even a tithe of those one would like to mention if space allowed yet such as are here included show him pretty nearly at his best wisely comprehensive of human foibles indulgently ironic yet with an underlying touch of sympathy that illumines and softens much that is sordid and commonplace that he was a genuine artist cannot be questioned that he was overrated by his own people and generation is more than possible that the large element of what was local and temporal is likely to prove a heavy handicap in the race for immortality cannot be denied as anatole france sagely remarked one must be light in order to fly across the ages at all events frankness demands recognition of the fact that o henry while not limited to a narrow range was not possessed of a conspicuously wide one that he had already achieved enough on which to rest a substantial fame and that it is doubtful whether had he lived he would ever have surpassed what he has already done his early death has robbed us of the man but in all likelihood it did not seriously rob him of any laurels End of chapter ten